One of the surefire ways to, uh, to annoy my children is to tell dad jokes. Y'all ever tell dad jokes? Um, I'm going to start off with a dad joke this morning because I plan on saying nothing else funny for the rest of the day. Um, and I just thought I'd break the ice a little bit. You know uh, why the cookie went to the hospital, don't you? It felt crummy, you know. There you go. That's about as good as it's going to get today, folks. You know, sometimes I'll sit with Cami on Saturday. She goes, how's the sermon coming? And I'll go, it's not good. They're going to love it, you know. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, I hope you're here this morning to hear from the Word of God because that is exactly what we have for you this morning, the Word of God. But you're in luck. Because the Word of God is good, and it's really what you need more of in your life. So settle in as we look at God's Word. Uh, We are in the fifth week of studying the book of James. Uh, James was written by the brother of Christ. uh, He ended up, James ended up being one of the great leaders of the early church. And this book, James, is probably the first New Testament book to be written. And of all the 27 books uh, in the New Testament, it's tough to say But James just might be the most personally challenging book in the New Testament. James goes uh, to great lengths to challenge Christians to put your money where your mouth is. That's kind of, if we were to boil down James, there's a lot of put your money where your mouth is in the book of James. to, To display your faith, what you say you believe, by your actions. Another way to say that is James goes to great lengths to show Christians that what we do in life matters. How you live your life, it's how you spend your days actually matters. Um, And James suggests to us that true faith, that if we really believe, that's gonna lead to true works. Have you ever met someone that that said that they believe something? Maybe it was in Christianity or maybe it was in, maybe, maybe they said they were a vegan and you watched them and, and their actions don't reflect those convictions at all. So, so what they say they believe, it, it, the way they live doesn't reflect that at all. And we call those kind of people generally hypocrites when, when your faith doesn't match your actions. Uh, for Christians, this usually happens in one or, or two ways. Either, and, and follow my logic here, either you believe that something is wrong and you do it anyway, or you know that something is right to do and you should do it and you never, ever get to it. Um, you might know lying is wrong and your faith tells you not to do it, but you keep living a lie. Uh, and, and the question we get to is, what does that mean about your faith? And on the other hand, you, uh, your faith might tell you that generosity or helping the poor is right. But if you never act generous, what does that say about your faith? Take, for instance, uh, Jimmy Swagger. Have y'all heard this story? Y'all know, y'all remember Jimmy Swagger, the old preacher? Uh, his faith told him that, that these sexual sins were wrong. And uh, I, I did some reading on Jimmy Swagger this week, kind of thinking that that might be a good illustration. And I was blown away because I was a little young when that Jimmy Swagger stuff went down. It happened in 86, and that would have made me eight years old. Uh, Jimmy Swagger uh, in 1986 reported that one of his good friends, a man by the name of uh, Marvin Gorman, was having an affair. So Jimmy Swagger figures out Marvin Gorman's having an affair. Marvin Gorman's another Assemblies of God preacher. So they're both these preachers on the circuit. And Jimmy Swagger couldn't stand for it. He said, this is morally wrong. 
And uh, he, he knew that the affair was not right for a man of God. And, and so he saw to it that this man Gorman was removed from, from ministry. He went and he personally gave a report. He personally testified that he had uh, direct knowledge that Gorman was having an affair. And Gorman, this man, he was defrocked from the Assemblies of God Church. But what happens next is kind of interesting. Gorman is so mad at, at him for, for doing this that Gorman hires his own son and his uh, stepson and they, hire, they start this sting operation where they go to a hotel room that's known for prostitution. And, and they go uh, next door to the woman of, of ill repute's room, who's always there, and they use a blackout curtain and a secret camera, and they catch everyone that comes in and out of this room. And who do you think they caught on camera there? Jimmy Swagger there in, in, in the local Baton Rouge visiting a woman of ill repute. And uh, so on the one hand, you know, Swagger believed that infidelity was wrong and that his his friends should answer for this sin. But on the other hand, here's Swagger walking into this hotel room. His supposed faith didn't lead to action. You see, sometimes Christians claim to have faith, but their faith seems to be dead or, or it seems to be useless. And it never has an impact on their lifestyle. And it's, it's not just these guys with their, with their crazy scandalous sins. James gives us all this stark warning that if your faith is not leading you towards righteous actions, that you just might have a dead and a useless faith. James suggests that, that not every kind of faith is a saving faith. And there are some kinds of faith which are, are counterfeit and don't save a man's soul. And so what I want to do today is, is I want to see what the Word of God has to say about faith. And I want to invite you, if you are able, to stand now as we read James 2. We're going to be reading verses 14 through 26. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer and then read it together. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you for your Son, Christ Jesus, who is continued to be revealed in, in your word. I even thank you for your law, God, uh, for how it reminds us of our need for Jesus and our, and our sinfulness. As we come uh, to your word, we, we submit ourselves to it. We, we listen well. Uh, all praise and honor to you, Father. Amen. Hear now the word of God. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says yes, faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? All right, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active long with his works, And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. 
You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messenger when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Would it surprise you if I told you that what we just read is one of the most controversial pieces of Scripture in the entire Bible? Of all the books in the Bible, this section of, of James chapter 2 has been very controversial. Do you, know, do you know why? Because it appears uh, at first glance that James is, is contradicting what the Apostle Paul says about salvation, right? Uh, what's at stake here is this question. Let me make it really clear. What assures a man salvation? How do you know that you are saved and what brings about that salvation? And, and over and over again, the Apostle Paul says to the early church that women and men are saved by faith alone. In Romans 3, 8, Paul says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So, so faith alone, apart from works of the law. Really, faith alone is one of the great cries of the Reformers. Uh, again, when, when Paul writes to the Galatians in 2.16, he says this. He says, We know that a person is justified, uh, is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ. So, so in layman's terms, you're not saved by your works. You're saved by faith in Jesus. Billy Graham would teach this at his revivals. I don't know if any of you ever got to go to a Billy Graham revival, but he would look out over the crowd of, of thousands and he would tell them, believe in Jesus and receive him as your Lord and Savior, and you will be saved by your faith in Jesus. But here we are in the Bible, and it is the Word of God. And we come to the book of James, and it would appear at first glance that James is saying something else. Uh, our text today starts with a rhetorical question, and it's in verse 14. And if we could put verse 14 up there. He, he asks this rhetorical question. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that save him? Can faith save you? If you don't have works, this is James's question. And so maybe you're like me. Maybe you know the teachings of Romans. Maybe you know the teachings of Galatians and countless other places. And you're like, uh, I, I, I thought so. I, I, well, I know I'm saved by grace and not works. But, but I don't know what to think right now because here I'm finding what seems to be something different in James. So James decides to give us this illustration. And, and he does this in verses 15 and 16. Uh, he says this, if a brother so he's, or a sister, so he's talking about people in the church, your, your church family, he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them uh, the things needed for the body, what good 
is that. So here's what's going on in that story. James says, you, you see another Christian who's obviously down on their luck and, and they don't have proper clothing and they don't have food. And you say, man, that's so tough. I'm going to pray for you. In fact, I'm going to pray right now that God sends you somebody bring you clothes and food. And you send that person away after praying for them cold and hungry. The question that James would ask you, the question that the word of God would ask you is, what good is your faith? It's a rhetorical question. Uh, James assumes his, 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 his readers or his listeners would answer, not very good, I guess. Then James says this in verse 17. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. All right, so, so, so the word of God here is clear. And this is the word of God, like it or not, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in him for salvation, yet that faith is not alive in you to spur you towards good works, then it's really possible that that kind of faith is what the scripture would call dead. And you might be there saying in your, in your seat, uh, but wait just one second, preacher. We know, we know our Bible and we know our Reformed theology and we hold to this principle that we are saved by faith, not by works. What's going on here? Is the Bible contradicting itself? Which is it? Are we saved by faith or are we saved by works? I'm going to make this really simple for you. You are saved by true faith. You understand that? You are saved by true faith. And true faith in Jesus always, always, always leads to changed hearts and minds, and it produces in us good works. And, and there's no contradiction here. James is simply saying that, that not all faith is true faith, and that only faith that produces a people of action is a saving kind of faith. John Piper, who many of you respect, he's a great theologian and a pastor and a former, says this about the text. Loveless faith, faith that doesn't have love, is absolutely useless. And anybody that comes along and says, we're justified by faith alone, and you don't have to be a loving person to go to heaven, they are not telling the truth. James's concern for us in this text and for all his readers is that some of us, some people he's writing to, might have a counterfeit faith. Uh, they might believe that they're, they're saved because they believe certain facts about Jesus, right? That, that their salvation is tied to, to believing facts about Jesus. And in verse 18... If we can put that up there, James begins to imagine another argument that someone might bring to him. That someone might say to him, well, all right, James, uh, you have faith and I have works. It's almost like, like James is imagining uh, someone saying, well, there's all kinds of Christians, James. There really are. Like there's, there's, there's Pentecostals and there's Methodists and there's Baptists and there's Presbyterians. And there's the kind of Christians that have faith. And there's the kind of Christians that have works, so don't judge me. And, and, and he kind of, like he's hearing that, and he, he says, no, 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 no. You show me your faith apart from your works, 
And I'll show you my faith by my works. And it's really a brilliant argument. Because it's impossible to display your faith in Jesus apart from doing something. What you do in life is the direct evidence of what you really believe. And then it gets really interesting. This is one of my favorite verses in verse 20. Let's look at verse 20. You believe that God is one. Well, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And here's the context. James is talking to Jewish Christians. And the most uh, precious piece of scripture for the Jew is something called the Shema. Now the Shema is, is, the word Shema is Hebrew for hear. And it refers to Deuteronomy 6.4. And here's what that precious verse says. It says, O hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. This is a very important piece of scripture for the Israelites. It it was maybe the most important doctrinal statement that they had. And James is is referring to that verse here. He says, uh, you believe God is one? Well, well, good, because it's true. But guess what? Believing facts about God doesn't save you. Even the demons believe this, and they shudder. There is not one demon in the entire universe who is an atheist. You ever thought through that? Not one atheist demon in the entire universe. Every demon believes in God. They all believe that God is one. All the demons believe in the Trinity. Every demon knows the Apostles' Creed is true. They all know that Jesus Christ alone is the way to salvation. They know that Jesus is God of God, light of light. They know that he is very God of very God. They know that Jesus is begotten and not made. They believe that Jesus was resurrected and crucified. They know this to be true. In fact, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say most demons have better theology than you. James's argument is this, that believing in facts about God is not the kind of faith that leads to justification. And yet, there are all kinds of people who think that because they are, they are, they think that they are at peace with God because they believe some facts about God that the demons believe also. And that's knowledge. That's not saving faith. And uh, for the sake of time, I'm just going to kind of summarize the rest of some of these arguments here. Uh, I did a lot of work on Abraham here and what, what James makes his point about Abraham. What's really interesting is when Paul is talking about we are saved by grace through faith, he calls a witness, and the witness that he calls is Abraham. And he, he says, look at Abraham. Uh, he believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What's funny, when James is, is making a similar argument, who's the witness he calls? He calls Abraham too. They both call Abraham to make their point. And what, what James is going to do is he's going to tell two stories about Abraham. And the first story is is one that you know. He he tells the story of Abraham and Sarah and the fact that they were there in life and they were unable to have children and and Abraham was an old man. And Abraham has a dream and in his dream, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. And Abraham says something to God like, Lord, you've given me no children and no heir. And so God will say to Abraham, I will give you a son 
who's your own flesh and blood. And he, and he tells Abraham, look up in the, in the sky and count the stars. If indeed you're even able to count them, so shall your offspring be. Right? And this is, this is the same kind of text that, that Paul was talking about. Uh, and, and Abraham believed, and, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In that moment, Abraham was righteous because of God's grace and Abraham's faith in God. And then, then he tells a second story. And the second story that James tells is, you know this one too. It's about Abraham and Isaac. And if you remember the story, uh, Isaac is that child of promise. He is, he, he is the child of the covenant. And everything that God promised to Abraham could only come true through Isaac. It was the only way any of it could be true and be real. And what God asks is for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And if you think about it, he's asking Abraham to give up everything. Not just his son, but all the promise, all the covenant. And so the logic here is, is something along the lines of, yes, Abraham believed and it was credited to him in righteousness, but that faith that was credited to him in righteousness manifested itself in actions and the willingness to take his son up to that mountain. And you all know the rest of the story, that God did not call for the death of Isaac, but he provided the ram as a foreshadowing of Jesus and the salvation that we all enjoy. So what? So, so what does this mean it means if you and I have a saving faith in Jesus, we will produce loving, trusting works of the gospel. Uh, it won't be, we won't be simply people who know things. Like that's, that's not the end of this. We'll be people who do the work of God because of what we believe. True faith saves and true faith leads to true action in your life. It was funny, last week uh, I told you about this man who, uh, who had come in and we had found him the Wednesday before sleeping back here in the pews. And, and it was funny because, you know, we're in this, this series of reading through James and, 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 and we were in the, uh, the series before and it was challenging us about how we treat the poor. And I said, you, you know, God would do that. He would send me a homeless man on the week that I have to preach about how you take care of the poor. That's exactly what God does. I don't know if he does that with you, but that is exactly what God does to me if I'm doing that. And, and, and it's, like, it's like every week, whatever I preach about, I've got to deal with in my life. And, and so next week, I plan on preaching about, y'all just write this down, how to properly win the lottery and, and spend the money in a godly way. That's, that's next week's sermon. I'm in my office uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, and uh, I'm preparing for this sermon. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually sitting there reading. I'm going to read the verse I'm reading. I'm reading, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And I'm, I'm reading it, and I'm reading it. I'm kind of going, oh, I think, how am I going to do this? And I got up to use the restroom, go to the bathroom, head back to my office, and the, and the door of the church opens, and in walks Mrs. Davis. Now, Mrs. Davis, she can barely breathe. She's probably in her 70s. Uh, she has lung cancer. She's on chemo. Her daughter died last year of a brain aneurysm, and she's raising her three grandsons. And all she has... Uh, she doesn't work. All she has is a little social security check. And, and to be honest, when she came into the church today, she wasn't really looking for me. She was looking for Reverend Blah. Uh, he had helped her before. 
blah, blah, I was out visiting the sick or something. So I asked her, I said, can I help you? What, what can I do for you? And, uh, and she asked me for gas, and she wanted to know if we had food around the church. And, and Blaha later informed me, we have tons of food. Just go in the pantry. But right then I was like, I don't think we do. I'll take you to the grocery store. And, uh, and so we ended up, uh, I, I told her to follow me, and we drove up to the gas station. I, I, I filled her, her tank up, and, and, and there's part of me was like, oh, I need to take her to get her food too. And guys, it was a little begrudging uh, because I got to tell you, I was, I was pretty busy, and, and, I, and I, felt the, like, I felt the need to, to continue doing my work. So, so I take her, and, and I don't want you to give me too much credit here in any of this because uh, I have a church credit card to use for benevolence, right? So, so when I help somebody, we help somebody. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I, I got to be careful taking credit for any of this stuff. But, but, but I, I, after I got her gas, I said, follow me over to Kroger. We'll go to Kroger. And, 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 and she, she pulled up to Kroger beside me, and I said, hey, why don't you stay in the car and let me run in and get you some groceries? And, uh, and she said, no, I, I'd really like to come in and shop for what I like. And immediately I was disappointed because I, I knew how slow she walked. And, and my thought was, man, I could get a cart full of groceries in seven minutes. Uh, you, you Ask my wife. You'd be surprised how I shop. And, and so, so it, it, about 10 minutes to get her from her car to the front door of Kroger. And then I, I get her a cart for her to hold on to. And we continue to spend the next 45 minutes shopping for food at Kroger. Um, she would handle every piece of meat in the place, and, and uh, it just took a long time. And uh, uh, I kept thinking to myself, I came here to buy her a few things. How much is appropriate? It's really interesting, the wrestling that I had with that. Like, I'm here, I'm here to, buy you, to buy you a few things. How much is appropriate? It was, it was really interesting. And I kept thinking, i got to be honest, I was thinking about y'all a lot. I was thinking, how would the church have me treat this woman? How would Christ have me respond to the needs of this helpless woman. And, and then I helped her back to her car. And I got, every five minutes I was looking at my phone to see what time it was. I was like, oh man, it's just, the day is burning away. And I loaded all of her groceries in her back seat. And I said, farewell, Mrs. Davis, have a good day. And she says to me, pastor, you've already helped me in so many ways, but there's just one more thing. My baby needs socks. The Lord couldn't just have me feed her. I needed to clothe her too because that's what the scripture said. Uh, and she said, do you think that you could take me to the dollar store and get socks? And, and honest time, I mean, I've, I've been real honest this. Uh, had I not had the word of God echoing in my ear, I would have said no at this point. Um, I would have said, you're, you're taking advantage of me. I would have said to her that you're, you're looking a gift horse in the mouth. I would have told her she's pressing her luck, that I'm a busy man, or that we've given you enough and let somebody else help. That's everything that my flesh was thinking. i got to be real honest with you. It's everything that my flesh was thinking. I had these two voices in my head. I called them my flesh and my faith. My flesh said, uh, Tyson, you're getting had. You're getting played. She sure is asking a lot. But my faith said, listen, meet her needs. There's some little kid without socks. The church isn't going to miss $5 for socks at the dollar store. After all, Jager's rolled off finance, so probably no one else will know, right? And, and this feeling that I could sacrifice another 15 minutes of my time. After all, did I really think that it was a coincidence 
that she would walk in when I'm reading that piece of Scripture. It's funny that when we're doing what the Bible says, there still is this inner monologue with our faith. And, we have, and we're having to tell ourselves, choose to live by faith. Don't listen to your flesh. And, and I guess I'm curious, is God giving you guys any of the same opportunities that he's giving me to live this out over the past few weeks? Am I the only guy who's having people walk up to me and need help? Am I the only guy who's having opportunities to bless people in need? Um, I want to challenge you to open your eyes to that. It may just be that you're turning your head and looking away, that you're thinking it's somebody else's responsibility. Uh, listening to the calling of the Holy Spirit. I want, to, I want to invite you to put those convictions into action and to beware of the counterfeit faith that, that, that some people have that leads to nothing. The question is, are James and Paul in disagreement about what leads to salvation? And I believe the answer is no. That they would both say faith leads to salvation. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. But I believe what he would say is it's, it's true faith. And when that faith is inside of us, it always manifests itself into the fruit of the Spirit, into true action, into, into works of good, loving kindness in our lives. Uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and your call and your scripture. And, and, and God, where we uh, have faith and it doesn't lead to action, Lord, we repent. We repent for the things we do that we know we shouldn't for the websites we visit, for the names we call people, for, for gossip, for lies, uh, for slander, uh, for greed. And God, we also repent for sins of omission, for where we have faith and we know what we're supposed to do, but we just don't have any action. We don't spend time in the Word of God. We don't spend time in prayer. We don't spend time in service or work for those of the less fortunate than us. God, continue to give us the gift of conviction. That we would be people of action that comes from our faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus and the church said, amen.